What's going on everyone? Welcome back to the Rockcast sponsored by Onyx Hunt Maps. And today we have my buddy Mike Hearn back on. Mike has been on a couple of podcasts with us. Um, I think one talking about the new Garmin Solar Watches goes into detail on those. Um, a really good first aid um, and kind of like first responsive uh, podcast related to backcountry hunting type things. That was on there, and then I recorded one with him not too long ago about contingency plans. So Mike is in the Army, currently stationed in Colorado, so he's getting a lot of time to hunt. And I think pre-roll on this podcast, I talked to him, you know, over the last five years, he's gone four uh, for five on bulls, so um, over the years, uh, you know, including like helping people be in the collar and just being experienced in the woods, so um knowledgeable dude great guy good friend of mine and so that's what this podcast is about and I'm doing an intro like this instead of with him because um I was on the road he was on the road when we recorded this podcast so we just kind of jumped right into the conversation um before we dive into it of course we want to thank our sponsor Onyx Hunt Maps we're all really uh, heavily using Onyx right now of course going about ready to roll into rifle season the archery season pretty much everywhere has gone away. So debriefing from that and trying to figure out a plan and strategy for, and even new areas for the rifle season um, to try to find some deer. So we're using Onyx really heavily for that. If you want to try it, you should just jump on, download the app, use the free version. You're not going to have access to everything. Um, I think you can download one offline map and just try that, see what you think of it. If you go to purchase, go to onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt, type in the code ROCKCAST at checkout and get 20% off your uh, Onyx maps. So just with that, we will dive right into the episode. So, uh, dude, where are you where are you headed to right now? Like, you're just going to um, go give her, give her a try in Colorado? Yeah, yeah. So I've been hunting kind of uh, north central Colorado and it was decent but there's just so much pressure out there and my my favorite elk hunting spot for at least for over the counter got torched last year so um i've got a buddy out in western colorado and he, he just killed a good bull and he's like hey dude i'm done hunting out here he's like if you want to come out and give it a shot there's plenty of elk in this spot and it's a overlooked spot he said so i'm this is my hail mary move because there's two days left in the season so yeah damn dude so the pressure has been bad i wondered how that was going to be like they said there was a seventy-five thousand uh applicant jump in colorado and uh yeah i was talking to my buddy from wyoming the other day too and he said that there was a hundred and ten thousand new users so i suppose that could be you know anything from like actually applying to like just buying points but still new users that's freaking that's insane to me, but, uh, how, how was it in Colorado? Sounds like it was kind of tough. Uh, well, over the counter said super tough. Um, so I started to see, I haven't, this is like my life. I haven't really hunted for myself. My, um, the beginning of the season, which pretty much it opened on September 2nd, my editor from black rifle coffee came out and I went out and helped him bag his first elk. He shot a, a big old cow um on over the counter we called her in it was it was cool he was happy and i was happy uh, so we did that on labor day weekend then i had to go back to work for a week then i started my my leave from the army for a little bit 
Um, I have until the 1st of October off. But um, so I had a little bit of time in between Chomp myself, and then I went in with Aaron and South Cox to a pretty epic spot that will be will remain undisclosed. Yes. Um, and then uh, came out from that and basically been trying to fill my over-the-counter tag, and it, it's been real tough. The area I hunt, um, I guess I can say where it's around. It's it's kind of in between. Um, it's just east of Steamboat Springs. I'll say that. Um, that area, my buddy was talking to, I don't know, the, the conservation manager or what the guy's title is, but he said, uh, two years ago, he said they've been selling more archery tags for that in that area or see more archery hunters in that area than they have for, I think, third and fourth rifle combined, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, dude, um, yeah. and then a bit of, yeah, and a big fire went through there last year and it like, if you look at my onyx and turn on the fire layer, like all of my, my honey holes where I've consistently been an elk and been taking elk out, it's just been torched. So all the hunter pressures really, um, consolidated in areas where there's still timber on the edge of that burn. And it's just, it's made for a tough season. The elk really aren't talking too much. Yeah. It's been pretty warm. I would say through like, I mean, all of September, like when I was in Wyoming the very first week and um, kind of around like just, you know, hopping to a couple different states throughout September, it was just hot. Like there wasn't really a time. I don't know. We went that second and third weekend of, of September. I took just like a light puffy jacket that Brooks from First Light and I hardly put it on really. And that's just that's crazy for, you know, September, usually you're getting like a snowstorm in there, a little bit of cold snap. Yeah. Yeah. No, it has been super warm. It's still, I mean, it was still warm. Normally by at least like September 8th, 9th, 10th, there's few mornings with frost. And I don't think I saw the first frost until like the 18th or 19th. Mm-hmm. So definitely been warm but i was i was hoping that because it, we've had a really wet summer it, we've got a lot of rain and i was hoping that with that rain would come i mean i'm sure there's great antler growth but i was hoping that rain would kind of and all the moisture and all the water would kind of get them kicked into high gear quicker <laughs> uh-huh yeah man it, it just seems seems like it's been like on fire in some places and then you talk to a lot of other people and they're just like it's been real. It's been kind of shitty, but, um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of your, like the strategies that you guys used, I guess, first, uh, I almost forgot about this. I would like to hear about your newfound love for llamas. Llamas are not cool. <laughs> they are, they are cool. They are cool to an extent because you don't got to take care of them. You don't have to have water. You don't have to take a ton of food in for them. But Jesus, are they slow critters. And I mean, they can't carry that much weight. They, they took some weight off our backs. But I I think my, my hatred for this particular llama stems from some of our poor planning. Because we went, 
when we went in, it was me and Aaron Snyder, South Cox had tag. South had a videographer and a, and a caller. And then I was out there calling and, and filming for Aaron. So um, that footage is going to be glorious because I, you can only do one well. And let's just say I focus more on the calling than the filming. Yeah. Um, but so we, we went in there with 12 days left in the season. So we had enough, every guy had enough chow and supplies to last them 12 days. We went in with three llamas to hike in. It was phenomenal. I had like 30 pounds on my back in my pack. I brought a pillow in. I've never been in the back country with a pillow before. It was great. Um, three days into the hunt, both Aaron and South kill bulls. And, uh, well, we're back there. I mean, we're seven, eight, seven, eight miles from the nearest trailhead. And where Aaron and South both killed their bulls was about four miles above where we were base camped. Um, so we, uh, we get back to camp on night three with two bulls down and start coming up with a plan to get gear out and get the beat out. And South was planning on a two day, two day event, getting everything out. And Aaron and me, I was kind of, I was like, yeah, well, if we can do it in one day, let's do it. I'll suffer in one day. And then mm-hmm. uh, just cause I thought attack a pill. Um, well, still have that jacket, though, but, uh, so we decide we're going to do it all in one day. We decide at base camp, me and South videographer caller are going to break down as much camp as we can and pack as much gear from camp as we can down to the truck while South goes up with Aaron and the llamas to get Aaron's meat. Cause when we killed Aaron's bull, Aaron and I deboned it, both put it in our pack. And we hiked about a mile with it, and we were like, all right, fuck this. It's heavy. So we, we hung it in some trees. Uh, so Aaron and South went up to recover the bull. Me, the, the videographer, South Caller, hiked out with all our gear, then dumped our packs and came back and met Aaron and South and the llamas and took as much off of them as we could. And then South went back up to the camp and grabbed the rest of his meat to bring it out. Um, so it was an event. It was, we put on, I put on, I know my watch said it was over 20 miles that day. Um, and at least four and some change of it were with over a hundred pounds on my back. So, and Dude. dragging that lot. Yeah. F that man. <laughs> was, uh, was that doable? Like yeah. without llamas, like, would you have gone in there if you didn't have the llamas? No, absolutely. Absolutely not. And now knowing, no. And, and that place was, I mean, it was epic, but, um, I would never go in there without llamas and, well, I would never, I probably not going to, unless there's a llama per person next time or, or something like that, I'm not going back in there without like horses and mules, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, I don't, it, it wouldn't be doable. It wouldn't be doable to backpack not to get me out. It's just, it's too far, uh, it's too far. It just wouldn't work logistically. And that's why, now I think that's why the elk hunting was so good. Like the bulls were screaming all day out there. It was unlike any place I've ever elk hunted. Like it was unreal. Like elk screamed all day long and then all night long by our camp. But, um, it, but no, there's like, I know where it's at and I'll have enough points to draw it two years. I probably won't go back there because I've, 
can't afford to pay a packer to pack me. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've never uh, been around the llama deal, like been around the, uh, the goat deal a little bit with Avery and, you know, we packed his bull out in one trip, but I had, it's just like with that situation, it's like, you, you know, they're going to pack your camp in and then you're good going in. Just like you said, then on the way out, they're going to have the meat and then you're going to have your camp. But sounds yeah, like yeah. you guys just had to take more meat than that. And of course, like we only had one bull that trip. So you guys had two. That makes a big damn difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. If think, we would have like, only, if we would have only had one bull, it would have been, that would have, yeah, it would have been we would have put the meat on the llamas and still had room for some gear and been good to go. Nice. Yeah. But I think like that packing in, you know, I've done a lot of horseback hunts and I wouldn't say that they're like my favorite being around the horse, just like all the time. I think it's different too. most of them that I've been on. Like I've been with Robbie a little bit where we just like each had a riding horse and then, you hunt that way. And I, I like that a lot better than like having a whole pack string, which seems to be like the usual, what we do, but damn effective. Like if you can afford it, pay somebody to pack you in and drop you off. Like that is money, but it does cost some money too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think South paid, uh, I don't know if I, I think it was like three grand to rent the three llamas for 12 days. Yeah. And then I actually, yeah, and then I, I talked to the outfitter. We ran into the outfitter that had the permits for that area. He was, we were camped just above him. He had, a, we saw his wall tents and teepees set up. He had a moose hunter up there. I guess they killed a pretty good moose in there, but um, he was charging, I think, like 25 or 2600 bucks per person to pack them in. And I don't know if that was just to drop them off or if that was like fully outfitted. I It wasn't guided, but. I uh, I don't know if that was like with the wall tent and all that stuff. Oh um, yeah, so just I, like a drop camp or whatever. Yeah, so I may reach out to that guy and see what it'll cost just to just to uh, pack us up there with our gear and our packs and mm-hmm. drop us off and get us out if we get a bull down. Yeah, dude, would not be worth or uh, would not hurt to to at least ask. That's for damn sure. Um, mm-hmm. so we got. We got into some elk. I don't know. Can you describe a little bit about what that area was like? Like, was it super timbered or was it glassable from a distance? We were in some, we were in some stuff in Idaho that um, was pretty open and it was interesting. I thought that we were going to be able to glass elk and there were elk around, but it was, they really did not want to come in the open. Like they were sticking to like small pockets of trees and they would like bugle and and we'd go in and try to set up on them and then they'd shut up and that was kind of where you you lost me i think i know the basics of like elk calling um but uh when they answer and you go in after them and you think you're like within that you know 150 yard mark and you start you like cow call a few times and they don't do anything and maybe you bugle once and then they don't do anything. That's when you lose me. I'm just like, I don't even know how to hunt them after that. Yeah. Um, so this year I, I really kind of tried to work on like, I don't know if you, you follow Paul Dell or, or Chris Rowe at all. Yeah. So I kind of, I tried to kind of stay. I, I always listen to those guys cause they, they kill elk and they kind 
kind of know what they're doing. Um, but this year I really like focused on like making specific sounds and doing specific things and, and kind of taking a bull's temperature when I'm calling them in. Um, so in the open one, I don't really like hunting them in the open a whole bunch because they're harder to call in because they can, if, if they can see that there's not an elk in the area where they should see the elk making the elk sounds and they're, they're going to hang up and not come in just like a turkey would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so for like, if a bull, were they like lazy bugling? Uh, the one I got, so there was one lazy bugle, like actually when we got in there the first afternoon, there was a lazy bugle, tried to go in and work. It didn't really work. So I just tried to back out. And then the next morning we heard a bugle with some chuckles and I was trying to find the damn thing. Cause it's, you know, fairly open with the small pockets. I was just trying to glass him um, and then try to move in from there couldn't do it so we just stayed back and we were actually mostly deer hunting so we were glassing looking for them and about 11 o'clock I just I just did like a lazy bugle and he piped off below us probably 300 yards in some trees and that was more of like that was a more aggressive like a growly growly bugle so I just shut up and we went around and like got in the timber got on the same level as him worked in or about where I thought he was and worked in and, and cow call just set up to cow call for a while. Um, couldn't get anything to come in on that setup and then just ended up backing out and didn't hear a peep from him the rest of the time. So that was, well, that was one example, but there was a few times that it was pretty much that exact same scenario. Yeah. So it, in my experience, if they're if they're like lazy bugle, or even if they if they pop off, and then you get to where you think you're kind of in the zone, like that 200, 150 to 200 from where they're at, and they shut up. Um, well, one, if you're cow calling to them, you might. What what time of the season was it? That was this early or last. That was la- not this last weekend, the 25th, but the weekend before that. Yeah. So. He might, he could have had cows and maybe when he bugled, when he heard you bugle, he was, maybe he got up and pushed his cows away. Um, so one of the, the techniques that's been working good for me this year, I've, I've had a bunch of, I had a bunch of call-ins when I was with Aaron and then I had, I've had a couple of call-ins out here in the, the over-the-counter areas. I should be done but I, I drew my bow too soon and had to hold it at full draw for like three minutes. And then when the bull finally stepped in the shooting lane that I thought he was going to walk right in in the first place, I smoked a tree right in front of him. But um, so what, what's been working good for me is if I get in that sweet zone and the bull doesn't sound like he's super interested, or if I get in that sweet zone and I cow call and then the bull doesn't respond to my cow calls, I start, I bugle but I'm not bugling at him. So I'm not giving him a challenge bugling. I'm bugling like I'm trying to attract one of his cows or like I have one of his cows. That makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of grunting and, and panting the bugle tube, like doing the little kind of the whiny bull sounds with your voice. Um, and so that, that's been working pretty good. That, that's worked for me a couple times this year when bulls weren't really super fired up 
but they were they were bugling or they'd let me know their location enough to get in close. Um, so that that's one thing I've been doing. Or the other thing I've been doing is when I get to that zone, the first thing I'll do is if if I can get if you can get a ball, if you can get a bull to respond to a cow call, then try to slip in close to him and I'll give like a real long mew. It'll be a short, like kind of short on the high end, on the high pitch end, and longer on the low pitch end, which is they call it a, like a, an assembly mew, like a cow trying to trying to gather the herd to move. And then if that bull, if a bull responds to that, then I'll do that real voicey. Um, some people call it an estrus mew. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, I got my grease here. I can make the sound for you, but. Like that, they call it a contact buzz. And that's kind of like a cow demanding that that whatever elk she's communicating with coming. And that that combo, that real long whining mew, mm-hmm. and then the bull response to it. If the bull response to that, I'll follow it right up. I'll follow his response up with that that nasally um, contact buzz. And that's brought that brought two bulls in in over the counter. You know, multiple bulls in when we were back with Aaron. Dude, that's badass. Yeah, my elk hunting, like, as far as, as archery goes, like, I killed, you know, I killed a herd bull in, like, 18. That was pretty much a spot and stock situation because um, it allowed for it. And then, like, my other elk was late season, so I hunted him, like, mule deer, which I'm which I'm a hell of a lot more comfortable with than, than this calling. So, you know, you just go into the season and you're like – you know, you've listened to all this stuff and like you have your experiences in the field. Like I've called, uh, little bulls in before, but most of that was like just where I got to hunt. I found, I knew the area really well. It was more open. It seemed like the elk wanted to go out in the open more like in the mornings and I would see where they were at and I would try to beat them to their bedding area, get in front of them. And then I would cow call, you know, as they were moving through and trying to get the big bull to just like slide over a little bit and you know i had little bulls coming into that but yeah just like new area different elk it's interesting how it changes you know yeah i and so i like calling elk like i i'm the exact opposite of you if it's it's like spot and stalk like i I stalk an animal but I, I just always end up in the timber and I don't, I don't spend a ton of time on elk above tree line or any of that stuff. I mean, most of the elk I've killed have been at between like 8,500 and 10.5 for elevation. So it's, it's not real. I like hunting them in the timber and I like calling them. I like turkey hunting too, which is the same. Like that's why I like hunting elk is because it's interactive and, if they're not bugling, I don't know what to do or where to find. I know I kind of I know where the sign is, but I don't know where to find them, and I'm not going to walk around and blow them out of bed and stuff. Um, yeah. So I really I really tried to work on learning like what sounds to make based on what a bull's doing or what sounds a bull's making, like how he's bugling at me. So like herd bull moving a herd up the hill, I would probably try to like you said cut them off and try to kind of get in between them and the bedding area. But then I would, again, try to bugle like you're bugling one of his cows out of there, like a roundup bugle, like you're you're on one of his cows, because that's going to bring him over to me, like, who's this bull talking to my cows? You know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it totally, you know, it makes sense. And it's funny, like you think you kind of have a handle on it from listening to podcasts and talking to people and watching videos and just like, I feel like I comprehend like what, when you, like when you guys are saying like, you know, the, the, uh, knowing when he's angry and knowing those kinds of things. And then you get in the woods and something, something happens. And then I'm just like, I feel like I don't know what to do type of situation yeah yeah i mean i still have the two like uh before two nights before i had to come out to go in with snyder and, and company uh i got i had three different bulls fired up and i probably would have killed one but um they were i had bulls bugling like on all sides of me and the wind was crazy so i picked the, the kind of the drainage with the steadiest wind and i went after that bull um, and I just couldn't get him to close the distance. He would, he was responding to bugles, but they weren't real aggressive. But every time I bugle, he'd bugle back. He'd respond to cow calls, but I, I got him to come into 60 yards to once, well, a couple times. And, but he just never gave me a shot. Um, so there, I mean, there's still, I mean, there's some cases where I still don't know what the hell to do or what they're, what they're doing. I wish I did because I'd kill a lot more of them. Yeah. Well, I thought like, as that was going on, I'm just like, this would be a really good podcast topic to just talk about, you know, like there's a gajillion elk hunting podcasts um, and they go into like great detail. I think that sometimes it's like too much detail. You get, you can get kind of lost in yeah, like, Oh, this sound and that sound, and this is what he's trying to do. And this is what you should do. And it, maybe it all makes sense right now while I'm driving down the interstate. And then you get in the, you get in with the elements and things are like a little bit different than you thought they were going to be. And it's just, it's interesting. And I know that, uh, you know, we've, I've brought you on the podcast a couple of times and I think we, we think the same as far as simplicity. So I thought it'd be perfect to have you on and talk about it since you guys have been like right in the middle of the elk this year, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, I've gotten to try some of like my theories and, and put some of the stuff to practice that I worked on in the off season as far as calling that. Um, so where we were hunting with Aaron and South was real open and it was a, uh, it was a old burn. I uh, burned a few years ago. Um, so it was real open. So, and these guys were hunting traditional bows. So it's it setups made setups a little bit more difficult. And even though there was bulls out there, I think, I think the bull to cow ratio was skewed to the bull side. There's, I think there was a lot more bulls out there than cows. So when you weren't close to a bull, they would, they would bugle right back at you. But once you got into that, that sweet spot, we learned it pretty quick. Once you got real close to a bull, if he had cows and we ripped the bugle, he was, he was moving those cows out of there. There was, there was a few times where we had heard, we'd heard those bulls like they were lip on each other on the side of the mountain and we got in the mix and bugled and they just took off. They didn't, they really, they weren't in the mood to fight. And I, there, I think there were so many up, they were all just kind of trying to get, get a cow and get out of there. Uh -huh. But, um, so that, that's where I got to use a lot of those, like that cow calling technique that I talked about, like the assembly view. And then if the bull responds to the cow call, then do that contact was to, to pull them in and that worked um that worked quite a few times out there uh 
but even even weird stuff like I couldn't see it. So we were set up on one bull, and it was a, Aaron said it was a big bull. I was pretty pissed at myself. It was I was completely out of my control, but I was behind some of the only pine trees in the area, so I could stay hidden from view. And Snyder moved up on a bull that was bugling. Got and responded to the cow call. I did, I did exactly what I just told you. And that bull, Aaron said that bull was running in, and I couldn't see Aaron. When I when I set up with a shooter, uh, generally, if I can, I like to keep the shooter in my sights. So I, I can tell if he can see an animal or what animal's mm-hmm. doing that he's watching by watching him, right? If I see Aaron grab his string with a finger tap, then I know Aaron sees an animal start to come in. So I can kind of gauge how I need to tailor my calling or what I need to do based off what they're doing. But in this case, I was behind the only cover I could get behind to where that pole would would come in and look around and be like, oh, I got to go look back there to see if there's a cow there. Um, uh, so in this case, the bull was running in, and I didn't know the bull was running in, so I started, there was a dead log behind the pine trees I was hiding behind, and I started, you know, breaking branches and just trying to sound like an elk. And Aaron said, as soon as I started doing that, that bull stopped and turned and, and took off. Oh, so, but I mean, that's, that's a textbook, like everything about that was textbook, but that bull, for whatever reason, just didn't like me breaking those branches. So he, uh, he stopped and took off and I, and I had no clue he was coming in cause I couldn't see him. Yeah, that's interesting. So like, what do you think about if you go in, you know, you hear an elk bugle or whatnot, you go in, you get set up you cow call there's no answer you stay set up like how long do you wait until you try something else you know if you're gonna throw all your tricks at him like do you do them all kind of in a row and then hopefully he'll like something or do you would you set up in a a situation where like you have your you know you've got your wind like pushing across and you're set up with your collar on the down or your shooter on the downwind um, and then your, your back a little ways calling, would you sit in that for like 30 minutes, like 20 minutes? Would you try that to the, the fullest to see if, a a bull's going to come in quiet or do you be a little bit more aggressive and, and try to find something he likes? Um, so if he, if there, I will say, I will, if I know I'm in the sweet spot, like in that, I know for a fact I'm within that 200 to 150. I'll, st- I'll try to stay there for at least 30 minutes. I've, I've been burned so many times by getting a bull to respond and then he shuts up and nothing. And then I don't hear anything and I'm super impatient. That's why I like calling him because I get that immediate, immediate gratification. Right. I'm like, Oh yeah, he responded to me. So, um, I, there's been so many times in my elk hunting career where I have, gotten impatient and moved off and then 20 30 minutes later heard the bull bugle from right where i was set up oh man um that that actually that that happened to me last year before i went into call for aaron i was hunting over the counter again first bugle we've been out there for like a week and a half two weeks they just weren't talking we had the snow we thought the snow was going to get them fired up still didn't get them fired up um first bugle we heard a week and a half, two weeks. Got this bull to bugle. I bugled back at him. He shut up. I'm like, oh, well, he's probably not going to come there. So we kept bombing down the drainage. 
and we were, we probably were a hundred yards away from where I was set up at T Bugle from exact I mean, it was I almost hundred percent certain he was standing right where we were standing when we deal with that for the first time. Um so had we waited he probably would have came in that if that happened again this year, I uh well not that, but because I'm teaching myself to be more patient and wait at least thirty to forty five minutes before I move on. Um I hiked up a drain Saturday morning and I, I heard a bull bugle and it was way off. It was a long ways off. My body's already beat down. He's way up on this big side hill, almost a tree line. And I'm like, all right, well, that's the only bugle I'm hearing, so I'm going to go for it. So I climb up. I keep climbing. Uh, I bugle. Get him, he bugles back. Finally get close enough to him to where I know I'm kind of I, I was probably 200, 300 yards away on the other side of a drainage from me. And I set up just over, just behind a rise. And I cow called to him and he responded to the cow call. So I was like, sweet, he's responding to the cow call. So I did that, that contact buzz, that real demanding, like, get over here. And I just stayed there. He went silent. He didn't respond to, he didn't respond to any calling after that. And I just, I just shut up and stayed there. And probably 20 minutes later, I heard stick breaking and then I saw antlers just below the rise. And then he kind of, he came up and over and, um, he was looking for that cow and he kept looking. And then he, I, I went to full draw when I saw his antlers thinking again, twice this year, I went to full draw too soon, but thinking that he was just going to kind of pop up over that rise and, and look around, but he kind of stopped just where he was, um, like where his head was just over the rise, so I didn't have a shot. And then when he walked up, he walked up behind a, a piece of deadfall. And as he was moving around that piece of deadfall, I tried to a full draw. And as soon as he walked down the hill that I was on a little bit, I would have had a shot, but he caught me moving. But that was a situation where myself two years ago, when he shut up, would have kept walking up the hill instead of staying put there, but I stayed put there and waited and, and he ended up coming. Yeah, dude. Um, a, a wind question here, obviously always play the wind. Do you, have you seen like, you know, you'll be more in the open and especially where the sun's hitting and everything's a little bit more consistent, but once you drop in the, once you drop in the trees, it can get a little swirly. Um, Oh yeah. How do you, yeah. How do you play that? Like, do you just say, all right, well, you know, this is the direction that the wind was blowing and where it seems to be like favoring. And then, you know, the wind hitting the back of your neck. Do you think that that's carrying down 200 yards is if it's, you know, swirling around, but it seems to be going like, let's say hitting the side of your face. Um, do you stay put in that situation if it's getting squirrely? So, um, it, it really depends on what it's doing, but like, if, if I can, I'll try to stay like in the morning, if I'm working up the drainage, I'll try to stay low in the drainage because those downwind thermals, even though mm -hmm. like up on the ridge lines above the drainage, those downwind thermals are going to keep going downwind longer down there in the shade with that cool water and the cold. Um, but then it seems for me, uh, it seems like, and we've been at, 
that the spot I've been hunting over the counter, the wind's real bad. It's real swirly there. Um, but it seems like once you're up on the ridges, you kind of get a little bit of a steadier wind. So, um, but yeah, the, I'll tell you what I do like is uh, milkweed. You can throw a piece of milkweed out, or I don't know what it is in Colorado. There's something that, that has been floating around lately that I'll use my wind checker, but then I'll see that it almost looks like a like a dandelion or something off a cottonwood mm-hmm. tree. But I'll see those floating around. I'll be like, oh, okay, that's what the, you can really see with the wind and the thermals are doing with those. Sometimes there's not much you can do about it, but I mean, it's, it's all the same basic stuff that everyone always says stay low in the morning. And then if you're, if you're on elk and there, they happen to be lower, like in lower areas then try to stick to those. I try to stick to like the Creek beds and, and where that water is because that, that it seems like that cool air will stay going downhill a lot longer than, you know, if you're halfway up on a side hill and, and the sun's hitting it. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. I think like the, you know, the but, 10 AM type of situation is like, a best case or a good rule of thumb that 10 11 time frame for everything starting to switch and get squirrely mm-hmm. to go up but definitely like you know look at your area and um if you're in the sun on top it's probably pulling up a lot faster and that's yeah and, there, and there's yeah. there's a lot of spots too that if you like if you're on elk and you know where the elk are you know like if they're three quarters of the way up the hill and then you know you only have like get up super early and try to get up there in the dark so that way you can get on them as soon as it's light and then try to get them while the wind's good they're they're like that the area i've been hunting is a lot like that like i i get up at four and I, I leave my truck at 4 30 and, and i hike two miles up the drain to get on them so i have more time while the thermals are consistent and while they're talking in the morning um, because I know as soon as that nine, 10 o'clock comes around that the wind's going to get squirrely and I'm either going to end up taking a nap on the side of the mountain and trying to, trying to stay out of the way till it starts to, to settle back down in the evening or, or I'm going to be done for the day up there. Interesting, man. Interesting. Will you, uh, will you go back in on those elk? Like if you leave some in the morning, like in that situation, will you just hang out and wait and go back in on them in the evening or will you like go run around try to find another bull that's that's wound up i unless i hear a bull that's wound up i'm not i'm not gonna go running all over i i learned that lesson early in my career um i think i could do more harm than good if you're if you're running around ripping bugles at you know midday and there's no elk talking um and i am walking around too uh, I think you're just, you're spreading your scent. The wind's inconsistent. So you, I, I think I, I ruined a couple of the spots that I elk kind of my first couple of years. I, well, I ruined them. I kind of blew the elk out of the drainages I was hunting because I was walking around and I was eager, but really all I was doing was beating my body down and pushing elk out of there. I, I bumped a lot of elk in my first couple of seasons, walking around midday, bumping them out of their beds. And so if, I'm in a spot. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I, if I'm if I'm packed too far in and I plan to hunt that evening, I'll just sit on a saddle. I'll find a nice saddle. I'll get up there and I'll set a saddle so that way I still maybe have a chance of seeing an animal during the day. Or 
I'll just, I'll hold tight somewhere on a side hill or, or up higher and wait for him to start talking again in the evening. I try to not walk around if, if I don't have an elk to go after. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I would very much, that makes sense to me. And I think that's the exact same thing that, uh, I've tried to do is like, when you find elk, you might as well not, you know, walk past them to find more, um, type of deal yeah yeah but uh dude that's kind of all i all i had i just wanted to catch up with you we haven't we haven't talked in a little while um see how the season was going and and uh yeah that's awesome are you going to that stuff that you've been filming uh is that going to be like on youtube uh, yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to, once the season's over, I'm going to kind of organize all the footage and, um, send it to the, the guy that's editing all the videos for Kafaru and then hope it should be on YouTube at some point. Um, so again, again it's not going to be the best footage because I was wearing two hats. So a lot of like when, when Aaron shot his bull. I had the camera on, but I set it down because I was working on calling and I didn't want to move because it was kind of in the open when that bull came out. Um, I think I got the bull falling on video, but so it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It should be a good little, maybe a three minute video or something. Yeah. Dude. Nice. That's awesome. What do you have uh, coming up after September? Um, Work. Oh no yeah. Work. Uh, Back to work. I'm actually going to head up your way. I'm going to head up to the Mitchell Scotts Bluff area on October 1st. I've got some stuff to do at the house, and then I'm going to bomb up there and, and try to help some guys throw a mule deer tag up there. Nice. And then maybe maybe get a mule deer tag myself and try to fill it. Um, but other than that, I don't – I kind of put all my eggs in this in this basket this September. Uncle Sam's not really good about letting me go hunting, so. Yeah, I bet not. <laughs> he's kind of a he's kind of a dick to work for that's hilarious um well man yeah we'll uh we'll keep in touch but thanks for hopping on yeah absolutely thanks for having me